Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. This message is going out on Independence Day, July 4th, and so we're taking a break from our regular series that we just started on the book of Revelation, and I wanted to focus on what it means to really be free and to live free. Uh, you know, Independence Day here in the United States, it's a time where we celebrate um, the beginnings of our nation. But I think as Christians, we have even a, a deeper direction that we can look in terms of our freedom, um, that it's more than just a social freedom or a freedom away from government uh, tyranny or oppression, but it is a freedom that comes at a much, much deeper level in our relationship to Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet from the Old Testament who had much to say about freedom and captivity. He actually prophesied a lot more about captivity as the Babylonian Empire was coming to take captive Israel. And uh, so we'll be looking at Jeremiah's view of what it looks like and what God was saying through Jeremiah as the people were experiencing captivity. So let's pray, and then we'll start by looking at Jeremiah 29. Lord, we thank you for this day, this Independence Day, while this message is going out, where we look at what it means to be free. And we want to really live freely, not just under a constitution, but we want to live freely under your word. We want to live freely by your spirit and experience a greater freedom, uh, the freedom that supersedes any other on this earth, uh, a freedom that will bring us everlasting life in Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that gift. And uh, thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we have the ability to live truly free in Christ. So we thank you for your word. May it come alive in us as we celebrate what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jeremiah 29, and we'll start with verses 1 through 7. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, of Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. We're going to pause there. We'll read on in just a, a little bit, but we're pausing there just because um, let's, let's start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet uh, because of his continual lamenting, uh, because of the types of prophetic words that he brings to the people of Israel, the way that God speaks through him 
it, it's often God sharing his broken heart over the people of Israel, how they have turned away from God. And so God uses Jeremiah in that way as he speaks prophetic words of lament and grieving uh, because of where this relationship between God and his people has broken, have, has, uh, broken apart. Uh, Jeremiah is also uh, attributed often with the book of Lamentations. And so, yes, he has this reputation for being what we might call a Debbie Downer. Uh, Jeremiah is a buzzkill. <laughs> he, is, he is like the character Eeyore uh, on Winnie the Pooh. He's always something wrong, always something sad about and uh, this seems to be his lot in life. In fact, I, I've been reading through Jeremiah quite a bit, and Jeremiah himself laments that this is his role, that God keeps giving him words of lament, uh, prophecies uh, that are, are woes to the people of Israel. He essentially says, why? Why do I have to do this? Uh, and, and so this is his feeling even about his own life. So, you know, while at times I myself have been referred to as a pessimist, uh, I say realist, uh, I think most of, most of us can connect with a deep disappointment at some level. At some point in our life, we've experienced a, a, a place where the glass is not only half empty, um, it is shattered and there are fragments on the floor. I mean, it's a bad situation or we're in a bad place. And so it can really be a situation where we just find difficulty even seeing a glimmer of hope. And if you were Israel exiled in Babylon, there's really no silver lining to your captivity. I mean, this, this is what uh, is being spoken of, of the, the captivity that's taken place in Jeremiah 29 is, is addressing this. Um, you know, you would have a difficult time looking and just saying something good is going to come out of this. Uh, in fact, the approach that some were saying, in term, including other prophets who God said, these are not my prophets, they're not speaking on my behalf. But what they were saying essentially was, uh, yeah, God's going to bring us back. So don't get settled in here. Don't settle in to Babylon get ready to pack your things and, and God's going to come and, and take us back to Jerusalem. And, and, and so they were having a difficult time finding hope in this. So some were advocating at best, they were just saying, hold on, like don't, don't live life here, just hang on, God's gonna take us back. Or others were saying, listen, this is a terrible situation. Uh, God is not going to bless anything while we're here. Uh, so just give up. You know, life is at an at a end. Uh, life is over in this moment. And, and so the, they were advocating for just live a meager life. Uh, don't get settled in, just get by. Uh, don't waste your gifts or your skills in this place. It's disgusting. Babylon is, is such a defilement to Israel. So don't, don't bless them. Don't use your gifts. Uh, don't work in a way that would any way honor or help out Babylon. Um, settle down and make a home of it? No way. Don't, don't get homes here. It's temporary. Um, don't have kids here. Um, this place will infect you. It's, it's uh, corrupt and it will corrupt you and it will corrupt your kids. And, and so these types of things were being said. In fact, when it comes down to it, 
Babylon is cursed, and so just join with that curse and curse Babylon. This would be some of the things that people would be saying as they were led into exile. And it would really be easy for people to feel that way. Looking around, they're in a foreign land. It's a land that does not acknowledge their God, Yahweh, uh, worships other gods, and the culture around it was completely opposite. It was different than Israel, and so they would not want to be defiled by it. And so all of this, all of this would just sound so bleak, and it sounds really accurate for people who have been pulled from their own lands, their government destroyed, and their culture shattered. This is Israel in Babylon. So it would be natural just to say, I don't want to be here. I don't want to live here. I don't want to experience anything about this. I just want to get home. Uh, it would be much like if you or I were swallowed up in the superpower of the day, because that's exactly what Babylon was. It was the superpower of the day. And here's little Israel being consumed or swallowed up by them. So very little hope, very little hope of returning or overthrowing Babylon because it was just... Uh, so much. There's not really a thought that uh, this, you might say, oh, this will turn out okay. It's feelings of desolation and hopelessness. And it's that type of thinking that actually brings about songs that the Israelites were singing, including Psalm 137. It says this uh, in one Psalm 137, by the waters of Babel Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our harps. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And so that's really a song of lament, Psalm 137, where the Israelites are saying, how can I even sing? How can I talk about uh, Jerusalem? How can I talk about the joys of what I used to know when even my captors are mocking me? Go ahead and sing those fun songs of Jerusalem, and they're, they're making fun of them. The reality is, again, we've probably all experienced some type of sadness and hopelessness, feeling captive in the moment. Uh, a move or a job, it was a place that we didn't want to go to. Uh, the loss of a special home, a place that when we think back, oh, this, this has such memories and beautiful experiences that I had here. And so we think of it with longing and then having to leave that, that the pain associated. Leaving behind friends or family members, and that can be you know, just by moving away or even grieving the loss of them because of, uh, because of a death or even feeling surrounded by people or an environment that we feel like we might get overwhelmed in a workplace or a neighborhood, a situation that we just feel like we're gonna be engulfed in all of the chaos of it or the bad feelings around it. And all we wanna do is get away. Now I'm, I'm really driving this point home and I know just because this is, this is what we would say Israel is experiencing. They've been swallowed up by this Babylon, this major superpower, and they just feel like captives. And so it would be natural to want to leave Babylon and get back to what is home. And natural for them and natural for us. 
And there are certainly situations where uh, either the situation itself or the people, it's so toxic that putting distance between us and that Babylon, it's helpful if it's possible. But, but this is interesting, is that God doesn't speak about them getting out of Babylon. God's instructions to his people aren't that they should commiserate with one another about how terrible Babylon is and, and how life isn't going to move on from that point. No, in, instead God gives them these instructions, verses 5 through 7, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. We're talking about multiple generations. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I read this and my thought about this great contrast of what would have existed. Some would have been in Babylon for 70 years and they and their families would have only learned to have lived as miserable captives. The whole time feeling woe, regret and disdain for every day. See, not everybody would have heeded God's instructions. There would have been some who would have every day woken up and looked about and just said, another day in Babylon. Woe is me. Woe is us. What a terrible place. What a terrible experience. All I want to do is leave Babylon. And it's this great contrast because for others, they would have heard God's instructions. They would have heeded what God said and obeyed him. They would have settled into a life in Babylon they would have planted gardens. They would have had homes. They would have had children and their children would have had children. They would have made a life for themselves. And really the only difference from the one who would have experienced misery and woe for 70 years and the other who would have settled into a life was their choice to follow God's instructions instead of looking out at their surroundings and deciding that because they were captives, they were going to live as captives. And this thought came to me is that captivity is oftentimes the experience of life that we choose because of how we see our surroundings. This life as a captive, you know, the reality, all of Israel was captive at that point. They were all captives, but some lived like it and others, because of God's instructions, lived as full as they could in that place. And this really leads to the follow-up question then, why? Why was it that God, who allowed Babylon to come and take them captive, why is it that God was pointing them in this direction of not living as captives, but settling in and making a life of it there? It, it really seems counterintuitive in the sense that you just think, well, God's punishing them, right? So shouldn't they live as captives? Shouldn't they be miserable? Shouldn't they regret every single day of their life there? Shouldn't they diminish and, and experience a very small life in that place? But I think that idea, that mentality speaks more to how we view our hard places, how we view difficult things that come into our life, how we view Babylon and what its purpose is in our life. 
We think hard places that unsettle us is because God has removed his loving kindness. We think we face trials and hardships and persecutions. We're in hard places because God wants to punish us and harm us. But God reminds us that hard places, difficult things, and surroundings that are uncomfortable for us are so that we can be refined and prepare us for what he has planned for us. It's to remind us that he has a purpose and a plan that goes beyond our immediate surroundings and what's happening in the moment because he has something greater that's yet to come. God tells them not to live meager lives because there's something greater that's coming. Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You know, we, we think we're going into Babylon or we're in hard places or uncomfortable. We're removed from what is our, our, a place that we've made home and we've settled in and we get moved into a place that seems totally foreign to us. It's disorienting. It's uncomfortable. We think that's because God is bringing ruin upon us. Israel fought that. That was the punishment, right? We're in Babylon because we're going to be destroyed. We think that we go through a terrible experience because God has turned us over to be shattered and destroyed. We see punishment that God's going to bring ruin, but God says, I know the plans I have for you. And I wonder if you realize, I wonder if I really believe that God is good to me. I wonder if I really believe that God wants to bring good, a future and a hope in my life, not in spite of my circumstances, not in spite of the place and the hard things that you're going through, but because and through the very hard things that you're going through, God is going to accomplish his plan. God's plans were not in spite of Babylon. God speaking to Israel said, you know, you have a one-year plan, a five-year plan. Some of you are ambitious. You have a 10-year plan. God says, I have a 70-year plan here. And it doesn't involve just you. It involves generations that I'm going to minister to, generations that I have a plan for to bring a hope and a future. It's more than just this moment. It's more than just about you. I have a 70-year plan going on here. And in reality, we know from looking at Scripture, it's more than a 70-year plan. It's an eternal plan to bring people into his kingdom. This idea is that being gathered from exile is not about going back to where we were and living as we were. Instead, we're stepping into who we're becoming in Christ. This is at the heart, for the Christian, this is at the heart of what Babylon is about. See, some would just say, well, we're in exile for a while, and if we can just hold on in a meager life, and if we can just deal with this hardship, hopefully, maybe God will get us back to that really sweet place we used to be at, 
where everything just worked really well for us, how many times have I, or, or maybe you've heard yourself or other Christians say, boy, I was in such a good place, and then it just got all disrupted by this one moment. Could it be that it, it's not disrupted just because God wants ruin upon us or wants something bad for us or the circumstance just happened to be that way? But that we're going through this difficult time, a Babylon moment, because God has no interest in taking us back to where we were, but he wants to move us forward in Christ. And we get satisfied and we get passive and we become dependent on other idols in our life. And God sees it and he says, you cannot serve me in this place. It doesn't matter that it's Jerusalem. It doesn't matter that it's been the promised land for so long. You are corrupted in this moment. This is not serving you well and it's harming our relationship. I'm going to allow you to go into a tough place. And instead of telling you just feel woe and misery there, I want you to try and press on through that. Experience my thriving life. I, I, I don't want you to live as a captive in that Babylon moment, but I want you to experience life with me because I'm not just taking you back to Jerusalem. I'm taking you to a new place. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not for harm, but to bless you, to prosper you, to take you into a new place with me. A man named Marshall Goldsmith, he's an author who's written a lot of leadership books. One of my favorites really has a lot to do with the title. The title says, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And the premise of what he's writing just says, you may have gotten to this point in your life by all of these skills and experiences that you've had. But he says, where you want to go, that isn't going to take you to that next place. You need something else. You need a shift. You need a change in your life. And I would suggest that where you're at in your life with Christ right now, however good it may be or whatever good experiences you've had in the past, they're insufficient for where God wants to take you. They're insufficient for the plans that God has to work through your life. Some of you, he wants to increase your evangelistic fervor and he wants you to be able to share Jesus with others unlike you've ever done before. Some of you, he wants to develop that pastoral skill that you can lead and shepherd other people and, and teach others. Some of you, your generosity, it's been tremendous, but he wants to increase your heart of generosity and you are going to give in his kingdom purposes unlike you've ever experienced in your life before. Others of you are going to speak prophetically to the culture, not just mimicking the words of the things you hear around you, but God is going to give you prophetic voice to be able to, to speak things that matter to him, to the world around you. Some gifts of healing are going to be imparted and you're going to pray for people and you're going to see them recover sight. You're going to see bones restored. You're going to see lives restored. Some of you are going to have wisdom and wise counsel to others and on and on and on. You're going to ex experience God in new ways unlike you ever have, but that requires that you don't look longingly back to the experiences you had, but you take in the midst of Babylonian experiences and you say, God, I don't want to waste this time. I want to live for you in this moment so that I can experience what you have for me. I want to live freely and fully in the life that you have for me. His plans are to bless you, to prosper you, and take you into a new place. But it comes through Babylon, not through the easy places. Well, this is a, a great moment to, to pause, and we're going to receive communion and we want to really step into the freedom and the full life that Jesus Christ has for us. So if you take a moment, uh, get bread 
and get the cup, and we'll receive the, the bread and the juice together in just a moment. The bread and the cup. You know, if we were Israel in Babylon, we would say, how, how could we take the, the bread and the cup in a place like this? You may be in a place where you're really struggling. You're going through a hard time. And you might be looking at the bread and the cup and remembering what Jesus has done. That's exactly the type of place where we can look at it and say, Jesus is sufficient. His plan for you is full redemption. His plan for you is a full participation in his life. And so we partake of the life of Jesus, not just when things are going well, but we gather around the table, even in the most difficult of places. And we say, because of what he's done, we're going to go not just in Babylon and survive it. We're going to thrive in the midst of Babylon until we return from exile, until Jesus comes again and we can receive uh, this, this bread and this cup and fullness in his presence. We do it in remembrance of him in the midst of our Babylonian moments and our experiences in a, a land that is not our home, but we're waiting for the full freedom that we receive when Jesus comes back. So we hold the bread and we remember, we hold the cup and we remember Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your body sacrificed for us on the cross to deliver us out of a Babylon of our own making, the ways in which mankind has enslaved ourselves. We've enslaved ourselves and we've allowed others to enslave us. Uh, Jesus, you set us free. You came to bring us uh, into the promised land. You came to bring us, Lord, into the kingdom. And so that's a reality for us now, but it's also a future reality in its fullness. And so we thank you for the bread that we receive today. It reminds us, Lord, that we are not captives any longer because of your work on the cross. We are set free from Babylon and we can live fully here in a foreign land until we await the full redemption that comes when you return. We receive this bread with thanksgiving. Amen. Likewise, this cup, Lord, it's the cup of a new covenant that is established in you and what you accomplished through your death, resurrection, your ascension, and that you're coming again. We thank you and we remember that your bloodshed is our righteousness. Uh, Lord, we don't, uh, we don't fear living in a foreign land and that somehow we're going to be corrupted by it all. We know that because you have given us new life and the fullness of the Spirit, we can live boldly in this place, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, with your life living and running through our veins, Lord, a, a redeemed life, a, a forgiven uh, experience, Lord, in right relationship with you because of this cup of your shed blood for us that makes us righteous, makes us whole and holy in, in your gift of life to us. And we thank you for the cup in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you go forward from here, thank you for taking time to watch this message. And I do pray that you, wherever you're at, whatever moment you're in, whether that's uh, living freely and lightly with very little difficulties or whether you're going through a tough place and you're finding a way to live uh, fully in the life of Jesus, wherever you're at, 
I pray that you know that God has a plan for you, a plan to bless you, a plan for a hope and a future in Him, and that it doesn't matter. It's not conditioned on your circumstances. Uh, he is coming again to bring us into the fullness of life with Him when He returns. His kingdom come and His will be done. God bless you as you live it out. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.